a Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. Cecilia, I'm going to ask you something. Mm. And it's might I just stay with me. Okay. All right. Have this you ever thought deep. about dying? Yes. And, you know, positively, negatively? I don't know. Kind of not here nor there. I think I'm going to live till I'm 100. So I, I don't be. think about dying very much no. because that's a long, long, long way off for me. That's what I've decided. I agree. Manifesting that. Although it could happen tomorrow and I'd be okay. I think I'm at a point where I'm like, oh, yeah, that'd be okay. Like, well, If I die about, tomorrow, who's yeah. going to do the show with you? Oh no, that won't be okay. I would, I would miss you dearly. <laughs> I know you did it. Um, but, but my point being is, I think you know, as we get older, I guess we get a little bit more accepting of the inevitable. Not that we want it to happen tomorrow. But we're not older. This is interesting that you've decided that you're older. I think in my in my no, I don't mean it like that. But I feel like well, I lived. I feel like I've lived the majority, half of my life, not the majority. Of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I've lived, a, you know, maybe almost half. This episode is not about a midlife crisis. No. I would just like to point out. No, we, although we, we need to do one of we those. Do. But um, no, but I mean, in the sense of some wisdom, I've experienced yes. other people, you know, their death, mm-hmm. um, and being coming to a point where, if you had have maybe asked me ten years ago what I thought, I probably would have underlying there would have been a uh, fear. Yeah. I feel like I wouldn't be as scared now. Okay, that's good. Yeah, I don't know. Well, today's episode of The Wellness Collective is about death. And it's interesting because we have covered plenty of topics, but we've not ever really looked at what happens at the end of your life. And so today, that's what we're looking at. But it isn't all doom and gloom. And I think the interesting thing is, as everything goes, conversations is where we need to start. We have just the person to have this conversation with. My name is Fawn Chang. I am a deaf educator and an end-of-life doula. So I provide support to people who are transitioning to and in the end-of-life dying phase. And I also help people understand the value of contemplating their mortality and planning for what we call a good death. I said to Cecilia, we were Mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, we're always looking for unique guests on the Wellness Collective. And when I mentioned to her the the other day, I'm like, well, I actually know a death doula. And she was like, um, really? (laughs) A what? (laughs) What was your initial reaction? I can't even remember. I think you were a bit like, really? Like, oh. Can I just say, though, uh, when I saw a picture of you, when I thought of a death doula, I thought of like a little old lady with a like a knitted <laughs> shawl and like, I don't know, a book red of writing, poems and, and <laughs> like things to go from. But if you do have a look at <laughs> Fawn's picture, she looks absolutely nothing like that. So, you know, Beautiful. I love all the this, but that brings me to the first point, which is that we have all these pre conceived ideas about death. Uh, but it is still, there's only two things in life that are for certain, what, death and taxes. <laughs> we all have to deal with taxes, but most of us don't really want to deal with death. Uh, and I find it I find it quite fascinating myself. How did you get into this in the first place? Gosh, that's a great question. You know, it, let me just say that this whole 
movement of death and death awareness is really the next movement in wellness. So the narrative is changing. Like you, like you said, there, I think people have a preconceived notion of what a death doula or a death educator might look and sound like, but because we've recognized the value in taking a look at what death means to us and how we can find ways to die better because there can be a lot of improvement in the way that we're currently doing it. It's been this big uprising in awareness in the value of taking a look at it and examining it. I've had an interest in end of life for a number of decades. Now I read two books in my twenties. One was called On Death and Dying. Is a book by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, which is now really part of our mainstream mentality. She also wrote a number of books on grieving as well. And the other book that I read was called The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. And both of those books shifted my paradigm. I, I didn't look at life and death the same way. Again, not only my mortality, but the way that we uh, can midwife others as they're facing the end of their lives. And uh, I, I then shortly after that time, I started studying uh, Buddhist psychology and developed a serious mindfulness practice and have a daily meditation practice. And part of the studies is contemplating death and contemplating the mortality. And at first it feels morose, right? It feels depressing and it feels morbid. Uh, that's our first instinct when we think about death and when we think about thinking about death. But when you actually start doing it and commit some time to it, it starts to change the fabric of the way that you look at your life. Mm. Because what happens is you begin to ask yourself what really matters. And when you know that you only have a finite number of days, you start eliminating the things that don't matter and really aligning your daily life with what does. And ultimately, when we start doing that, we start to create an awareness of what purpose we have, what gives our lives meaning, the value of relationships. And, and in that, the value of relationships, it helps us focus more on the ones that bring us happiness or peace or help develop and grow us. And we become more ready to leave the ones that don't. And so our whole life can really become very fluid within this context of death awareness. Death impacts every single aspect of our lives, whether we're cognizantly aware of it or not. And when we can become, when we can kind of move past the fear or the, um, the taboo with death, we can start to become creative with how we live our lives and even become creative with how we face our death. I think what's interesting when you talk about it like that is that it is inevitable, like you said, for mm. all of us, but we don't, I don't think about it. I'm not afraid of it. Um, I certainly, maybe because I've reached a point in my life where I've ticked the boxes, <laughs> you know, you've had the children and you've you've got the career and I'm like, yeah, I've done the things that I want to do. And I probably did fear it maybe mm. in my 20s because I was like, I haven't done the things yet, you know, the things I want to do. Um, but, okay. I mean, what about 
there's two facets to it. It changes for you, but what about the people around you as well? You know, well, I, I imagine that it would be really confronting for a lot of families, say, when, you know, say I just turned up at my parents' house tomorrow and I'm like, so, I've I'm thinking a lot along. about death. <laughs> you know, right. it's, it's confronting in a lot of ways, I think, for people and how do we start to have this more of this conversation and make it more of an open conversation? It's going to be different for each person. Each person is going to have their own comfort level or their own set of fears regarding death. So knowing how and when to broach conversations is really kind of a skill that we're learning how to develop with people. Um, there's a number of different groups out there that has um, that have tips on how to broach conversations. There's a number of card games out there. Uh, there's one that I use that it's a fun deck of cards that you can pull one and the questions related to death. And so they start, they're provocative in that it gets you thinking like, you know, how, what kind of music would I play at my memorial service? Or um, what would my obituary say? And so they're kind of topical questions that can be playful and fun and somewhat benign, but they start stimulating conversation. And when you can do that in a way that feels a little bit innocuous, you start to scratch the surface on this topic and then you start to go a little deeper. It also feels funny that you say that, you know, what are the songs I'd like to play at my memorial? You're not there. It's like you miss out on all the fun of your (laughs) own life. I heard someone talking about this a little while ago about organising a memorial while you're alive. So bring all the people in your life that that you want to celebrate your life with and do all of that stuff with them while you're still here. And I thought, that's a fantastic idea. But again, you have to be brave enough to be able to have that conversation with your friends and your family to say, look, I'm facing this and I need you to be part of it. Because I hate the idea that you miss out on the good times. I know, right? I would hate to miss out on my own party as well. I think, do you think that once you are, I guess, when you're faced with a, I don't want to use the word deadline, but that's kind of what it is. You know that it's looming. You know, for us, we're just living our lives. There's no reason for us to think, oh, that could happen. Well, it could happen tomorrow, but we're not focused on that. But people will get a diagnosis and then it's something that they'll move towards very quickly. Does the fear, in your experience of spending time with people who are, you know, facing that or near that, does the fear of death change for people or is this something that you're encouraging and trying to, to bring out of them? Is this, you know, let's embrace shift the it. fear and how do we embrace it? Well, I think the fear is very natural, right, with death because it involves something that we cannot prove after all, right? We don't know. We don't, you know, we have stories of people who have had near-death experiences, but it's all pretty much anecdotal, right? And um There are a group of people that wholly embrace near-death experiences as information that tells us about death. And then there's a whole group of scientists that that don't, right? So there's nothing that's proved and it's quite natural that we would have some fear or trepidation of what happens afterwards. But in addition to that, I think there's a sadness and there is um, kind of an anticipation grief around death because we know that we will not see our loved ones again Mm. and we're very attached to the comfort of knowing that we can feel and see and touch and get affection from the people that are closest to us. And so all of these things are, are, are naturally going to bring up trepidation and resistance to pe- for people, right? But I found that with death education, the more that you can listen to stories 
or the more that you research ways that you can um, manage your medical situations in advance or hear stories of people that have had good deaths, you start to recognize that you can build some comfort around death. You can plan for it so that when you are gone, your family's taken care of. And I don't even mean financially, but emotionally and spiritually. So for example, you can start to have conversations with people that say, um, you know, maybe you ask a question like, after you die, how do you want us to remember you on the anniversary of your death? What's a word that we can say to ourselves? Because we all know we've all lost someone, even if it was a pet or we had a breakup, right? Maybe not a death, but we've lost someone who has moved to a different city or just left our lives. And we know that there's, there, there's grief there as well. And we know how it feels to want to connect to that person, right? Even though they're not there physically. Well, when we can start digging deeper and start to get creative with how to have a good death, we can start aiding our loved ones through their grieving process after we've passed. And I think that that's an element of personal responsibility, right? Um, we are, we can care for our loved ones after we die by the way that we engage with them in conversations now while we're still here. Mm, it's very interesting. I know that when my father-in-law was very, very unwell and, mm. you know, as they do, they call you in and he, I, I mean, he just did not want to go. He fought till the very end, What? but I think out of fear. Um, and I think they'd called us in and three weeks he pretty much still was hanging on. And wow. I remember my dad going in and dad said to me, I'm going to, I'm going to tell him it's okay to go. Yep. I'm going to tell him it's okay. And so dad sat there and and um, and held his hand and said, you know, it's okay if you want to go. And he hadn't mm-hmm. spoken for three weeks. He just sat there sort of sort of not really conscious waiting. but waiting, literally waiting mm-hmm. whilst all the family sat there watching, waiting. Oh, well, this is oh, it thing. was just it's torture, right? And so far outside of what I would actually ever want but that's not my, you know. Anyway, so my dad took his hand and said, it's now okay to go. Now this is, you know, not really, it's not my dad's job to do that. It's not his, even his family. <laughs> but anyway... He's, he opened his eyes, he looked at my dad and he said, it is okay. And dad's like, yeah, it's okay to go. And he passed away the next day. Wow. But, you know, it was like, I mean, how long, I just kept saying to my dad, how long can you live like this? He's so scared to let yeah. go. Mm. And the minute someone gave him permission, he did. And he It'll- wasn't suffering anymore. And I think this is the thing too. Often us as family hold on for our own reason of not wanting to let go and putting someone through unnecessary pain. Do you spend time with the family as well, Fawn? Is it important that we have these conversations with the loved ones? You have just hit the bullseye in why I feel like this is such an element of personal responsibility is because you are going to have to make medical decisions about your life at some point. And if you can't make those decisions, someone is going to have to make them for you. And if that person who has to make those decisions for you has not been informed as to what you value, they're going to make decisions based on their emotionality. And those decisions at the 11th hour are not going to often be aligned with the decision you would make if you had full clarity and were in your full vibrancy. And that is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about it. These moments, I work in hospice, I'm a hospice volunteer. And what 
we so often see is how families can really be broken down in these moments because you will have family members who maybe are on good terms but have very different opinions about how medical care should go down. Or you have family members who don't have good relations, not talking to each other and creating even more stress for the person who is dying. Mm, right? Absolutely. Because if they, they can sense what's going on, they can hear. Hearing is the last sense to go. And they're, they're able to hear what's going on. Well, let's take another scenario. If, so, if you are able to plan your death in advance and you're digging deep into the layers and getting into what feels like minutia, you're having conversations with your, your immediate caregiver saying, you know, I don't want the whole family in the room at one time. Or, you know, I know that there is strife between Anna and Ed. Let's make sure that we can coordinate things. And you're, you're able to eliminate a lot of heartache. It's about having addressing. some control over it too, isn't it? Exactly. Mm. And this is your moment. You know, there, this is probably one of the top two most important days of your life. You deserve to go out in style, so to speak, Mm. listening to the music that you want, seeing the trees or having the view that you want, being memorialized in the way that you want. You know, we plan a year for our weddings. Why wouldn't we plan a fraction of that time our death? What a fascinating way of looking at it. Totally. Do you know, I think I watched every episode of Six Feet Under when that came out a few years ago. And for me, that really opened my eyes to death and to mm-hmm. the whole way that that everybody deals with it and to those conversations about death. And I was telling my husband last night that we were talking to you and he was like, oh. And I said, I'm looking forward to it because I don't, I think from seeing all of those stories, and I'm not sure if you watched it, but every single episode was about a different death. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of different experiences of the same thing over and over. And I know it's fiction, but it was a really interesting mm-hmm. way of opening the conversation about well, this is going to happen to everyone. You know, how do you do that though? Like when you get called into a family situation, you must come up against some sort of... Resistance. Yeah, anxiety and stuff. How do you break that down? Do you say go and watch Six Feet Under? (laughs) As a death doula or as an end-of-life doula, you are or I am an advocate for the person who is dying and their immediate caregiver, right? Uh, Because the immediate caregiver has a tremendous amount of stress on them. They want to be in this role, but it's exhausting. It's physically demanding. It's emotionally demanding. And they don't want to take a break because that introduces feelings of, oh, I might not be, I might miss that moment, or they might feel guilty, or they they might feel like it comes off like they're not fully invested. Um, But having the conversation with the caregiver and the dying person, if I'm able to, because, you know, sometimes they become incapacitated and don't have, they aren't able to speak. It really is being an advocate for that caregiver and for that dying person and advocating for their wishes. So however it is they want to direct the scenario, an end-of-life doula stands in and is kind of gently navigating the scenario and facilitating visitors and facilitating communication. And you're right, Nat, when you when you talk about giving permission to let go, that is that's quite common, actually. Our, both of you are moms. When we get to that age and our children are caring for us, the last thing that we want to feel like is a burden for them. Mm. And we're worried about them and we want them to go on and be happy. And we know that they're going to grieve our loss too. So 
there might be some clinging to life if it hasn't yet been mentally and spiritually processed that it's okay to leave. And so having that permission from your loved one really can allow the person to let go. Mm, Totally. I want to dive into the whole like what to say, what not to say. We Mm -hmm. need to take a quick break, but we will be back right after this. We are here speaking with Fawn Chang, who is a death doula. And I've never met one before. Carer. There we go. Yes. Yes. Sounds better, doesn't it's it? A great, <laughs> it's a great title to have on your business card. I'm sure when you meet people at a party and they say, what do you do? Oh, okay. Here we go. Here's the conversation. Now, um, Fawn, you have so much uh, we can draw on to talk about this because it's a really difficult topic and a lot of people don't really know where to begin. But let's talk about um, your advice on if someone is terminally ill, what do we say to them? Or what don't we say to them? <laughs> like, <laughs> more to the point, yeah, there's always that person that says something and you're like, oh, my heavens, like, really? <laughs> yeah. You know, there are, uh, there are as many ways to die as there are people in the world, right? And everybody is going to have their own best way and their own not-so-good way. Um, what I've learned, though, is that talking straight and not sugarcoating things tends to be the best. Every person has their right to process their life and their transition and to do it in an emotional and spiritual way and to withhold information from them about how they're doing, you know, how their their diagnosis is, is really robbing them of the time to process it in their own way. That's not for us to decide. It's for the dying person to process on their own. We as loved ones can be there to gently hold the space for them and love them while they're going through it. But it isn't our job to take away their pain or to take away their grief. And that feels a little bit counterintuitive for us, right? Because we love our loved ones. We don't want to see them hurt. We don't want to see them struggle. And this this is the piece that becomes a little bit stressful for the caregivers because unless they've kind of arrived at that place of this isn't, this isn't my death. This is my father's or my sister's or my person's and they need to process this in their unique way. So being straight um, about their medical diagnosis, being straight about their condition where they are in the process and um, not using euphemisms saying death, dying, dead, using those that language, which is another reason that it's important to have the conversations and to change the conversation about this so that we start getting some kind of comfort level with death dying rather than passing or passed on. Um, we tend to pretty it up so that we can feel a little bit more comfortable with it, but all that does is prolong our acceptance of it. When we have it, and and I don't mean to be irreverent, and I don't mean to use language like, well, hey, you're passing, you know, you're kicking the bucket next next week, probably. But But then, you know, there are some people that would probably appreciate that candid approach rather than the heavy-handed, you know, everyone speaking in hushed tones all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And not everybody sees eye to eye on that. I've had this conversation with many people. I'm like, this is what I want. Mm. I don't want to be buried. I want to be cremated. A celebration. And 
you know, a lot of people around me are either like my in-laws are very, well, they're Greek, so they've got a, they've got their way of doing something. Um, my my parents are way out there with the let's celebrate and, you know, <laughs> have a great time. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, that's something that I don't want it to be this heavy, awful, mm. you know, burdensome process. But I know for someone like, say, for my father-in-law, he would expect that everybody would go and visit the grave every week for the rest of their lives. And that was just the expectation. So it's so interesting. Well, it's very cultural as well. Cultural, because if you right. actually look it- at all around the world, so many different ways that death is processed and the celebration of it in a lot of cultures, it is celebrated as a part of life. Whereas I think the problem that we have in the Western world is we have kind of gone the other way in a lot of ways where we just don't want to talk about it until we get to the 11th hour and then we have to talk about it. And we've disconnected from our spirituality or whatever that might be. A lot of that has happened too, yeah. We're now driven to be a culture of accomplishment, and a, and a culture of status, um, of acquisition, of achievement, of uh, recognizing one's goals. And so what happens is because we don't accept conversations about death readily and we, we're driven by accomplishment, we're driven by youth, we're driven by the ability to get up and make things happen. So what happens is aging adults, older adults, start to become more marginalized because they aren't as productive, nor do they buy into that mentality anymore. So what happens is because we don't talk about these things, there starts to become a gap in our acceptance of that generation. And when we don't accept it, we start to become scared of it. We're scared of things that we don't understand, right? We're scared of other cultures we don't understand. We're scared of other um, politics that we don't understand. And this lack of understanding is the key to keeping us separate. And there's a lot of suffering that happens as a result of that. There's a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of wishes not being fulfilled or even being able to have a voice to express your, your needs and your desires. And so... Um, it's it's a benefit for us to change the dialogue so that we can still say, yes, I want to achieve my goals. Yes, I want to, you know, acquire and, and do the things that I want to do. But I also recognize my mortality. And there is wisdom that can come from older adults, that can come from a generation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I lost my grandma. Here we go. My grandmother died a couple of years ago. I didn't lose her. She died. I do find <laughs> oh, that term quite funny too, <laughs> that you lost somebody. It's like you went to the right. shop and they didn't come over. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I never thought about it. Oh, I just, it makes you me laugh put it into context it. for yeah. me and yeah. I'm yeah. like, all right, won't yeah. be saying that again. You lost your grandma. Right. Where yeah. is she? She's still at the shops. Um, right. Yes, but I have found it really interesting that um, she was quite young, when she had my dad. So the age gap was not massive um, with me in terms of, you know, grandmothers. Um, But the interesting thing is as a child, I probably didn't have a strong relationship with her because she was still working. So I didn't spend a lot of time with her. But when I was an adult and then when I became a mother myself, I spent quite a bit of time with her and she imparted quite a lot of motherly knowledge to me. And it was a beautiful time that I kind of didn't really realise at the time because she got dementia soon after. So that sort of petered off. But when she died, so much of what she 
who she was and what she did is in me now and I recognise it. And I, and you know, from a spiritual perspective, I sometimes go, is she up there just like pulling the strings? And, you know, but it's, it's really interesting that if she was still alive now and still in the home with dementia and having a pretty awful time of it, I wonder if I would feel this way. But because she's gone, I reflect upon it more. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? I really love that you brought that up um, because I think that that's, that's also something that we miss by not examining and talking about death is that we are interconnected with one another and especially from our families, right? Um, you wouldn't be here without your grandmother, right? So mm. on a cellular level, she has informed you and will always be a part of you. And when you sit in contemplation of that, just if you sat quietly and thought about that for three minutes, I bet it would deeply move you. And I bet you would feel her because you already feel her now because you wonder, I wonder if that was her. If you thought about that on a regular basis, once a week for three minutes, you would actually feel like not only do I feel her in me, I feel her alive in me and how my life carries her forward and how my children are part of my grandmother and I will be part of my grandchildren. And that's really inspiring. And we don't only do that on with our relatives. We do that as women, the three of us sitting here together. We'll be changed from this conversation. Maybe it's in a small level. Maybe it's in a very, you know, very, very subtle in a subtle way, but we've informed one another about our experience of women who are in their 30s, 40s, whatever age we are, right? And that shapes our experience of the world. And so we create one another and we create our humanity when we stay mindful of our energy and how we impact one another. And I think that's a really beautiful gift of contemplating death and planning for it is then because then we can really partake in the legacy that we leave afterwards as well. Mm. And not just focus on the loss. I think that's that's right, which is easy to say, but if you've got something else that you can grasp onto other than that person isn't here anymore, then that gives you a tool. So that has to be a good thing. Fawn, I want to ask you, in what you've experienced, and I guess it's a difficult question, but when people do the work and maybe when, you know, loved ones do the work with the person who is dying, have you found that their grief, you probably can't answer this question, but point being is, is the grieving process going to be better knowing this? Because I know I remember reading um, Brandon Bay's book, The Journey, and how she talks about the grieving process and when we, we're not taught to fully grieve properly and the grieving process when fully embodied actually takes around three days. I remember you saying yeah, that. Yeah, right? Mm. And, but we're not taught to grieve properly. We don't really, we're not good at it. Some of us can be grieving something that we lost 25 years ago yep. and still be talking about it today as if it was yesterday. And, you know, I've, I've, you've heard me talk about this because I talk about it in terms of Geordie and his diagnosis, my mm. son and his, his diagnosis with his health. And, you know, I, I had to go through a grieving process even though I wasn't losing him. There was a potential that we might. So, you know... I went through that and, and when you've got these tools and you don't even know you're drawing on them, right? I didn't mm. know at the time that I was drawing on it. it. was I looked back six months later and reflected and went, holy moly, that was three days of hell, but I'm, I came out the other side. I'm wondering in your experience or from what you've learned, does this help transition through the grieving process for people who are, who are the ones that are actually left behind? Let's use an example that 
we just talked about your grandmother, right? Mm-hmm. And you were talking about how, you know, you, now you look back and you think, gosh, I see how I see how I'm so similar to how she was, right? And and, and you feel that connection with her without having planned it, right? Without having had conversations about death, right? Think about how if you would have had the opportunity to have conversations with her about life and death and about how she is part of you, fundamentally part of your DNA. And if you would have had these kinds of existential and spiritual conversations with her, you would be falling back on those conversations. And that would, again, inform your grieving process. And and I think we can probably agree that your grieving would have been different, right? If you had more experience with her that was related to how she's still alive in you, Mm. that changes the way that we grieve, right? Because we feel connected to our loved ones in a very different way than just our physical bodies, right? Seeing them in person. We know that they're still in us and they're never going to go away because who they are and has changed us. And everything we do for the rest of our lives will be informed by having known them. The cellular right? thing too, if you think about the DNA, mm. that they're in your DNA, well, you're never going to be rid of people, are you? No. They're in your family, like totally. it or not. But it's like when we were talking with Lauren and she yes. was saying how that DNA is passed down and then that your habits or things that your <laughs> loved ones have done, same thing, it's in you. So the chances of you doing the same thing, whether you like it or not, That's right. are really likely. It's full on. It is full on. even think... Right. I mean, think about even your best friend, right? You're not the same woman because of your best friend. She's always going to live in you. So when you can take the time while you're living, while you're vibrant, while you're energetic to celebrate that with your friend, then Mm. you can also have conversations like, you know what, Matt, on the anniversary of my death, I want you to, I don't know. Eat an ice cream at a party. Enjoy a glass of wine for me. Oh, wine, definitely. Um, I've got a question for you. We've talked about the approach of this with someone who you know that death is imminent with, but what about like a sudden death? And I think that is one of the things that we really struggle with is that losing someone, especially someone who's younger, who hasn't had a chance to fulfil all the things in their life that they potentially could have, that's that's a really difficult thing for all of us to deal with. And yes, we can fall back on, on the, the positives and the experiences that we've had and that they're part of our lives. But do you have any advice for people that are dealing with the loss of someone and it's happened without any warning? I would say that's the probably the vast majority of experience that we have, right? Because we don't typically plan for a death and we don't typically talk about dying. And so because we don't, the death is that much more traumatic, right? Because there hasn't been conversation around it. And part of this death movement and why it's now becoming considered an entity of wellness is that when we can change the conversation, we change our culture. And when we change our culture, we start embracing these conversations with our children. And we have these conversations with them at their readiness and at their level, right? Obviously, you're not going to have an adult conversation with a child about death, but you're going to start introducing safe concepts with them and language with them that doesn't fairy tale life, that doesn't over-romanticize our relationship, that starts helping us 
identify how we still live in each other, even when our physical bodies are gone. This is really profound and powerful stuff that eliminates some tiny bits and pieces of the fear, right? It helps us have more acceptance and it helps us feel some sense of fluidity and comfort with the fact that we all die. Now it seems normal and acceptable. Well, it's the same conversation that I'm having with teenagers and saying to parents, you know, they'll say, when's the right time to start talking about sex? And I'm like, from the minute that they start asking, same <laughs> with death, I would imagine, because you're in, they're, they're asking when they're ready to learn mm. and they might not have a concept of it at three, let's say, and you're not going to give them the full biological rundown of what actually happens, but it's this organic evolution in a conversation so that when these things do happen, mm. it's not this world rocking, you know, situation for somebody. It's something that they've been, it's just part of what can happen. Well, it goes back to, we do others a disservice when we don't talk about scary things because each person processes information in their own way, right? We're all chemically made up differently and each person has the right to process it as soon as they can with as much time as they need to. So why hold back? And again, you know, no irreverence, only do it at certain, at their level of readiness, but don't withhold the information. I wanted to quickly mention, I, you know, my son is now asking questions. He's, he's a young adult, but he's had some anxiety with death. And so we talked about it the other night and he said, what do you think happens? And I said, well, I have my own belief system. And he said, you know, when you die, do you think you're going to live on? And they said, his name is Cortez. And they said, Cortez. If I died tomorrow, you forever will have me inside of you. Your hands are my hands. Your legs are my legs. When you look out at the world, you're looking through eyes that are mine as well. And you can tap into that. Just because I'm not here physically doesn't mean I'm not, again, informing everything that you do for the rest of your life. So your children will know me as well. And him having this level of awareness, then he'll remember that in 20 years, yeah. right? He'll, go, he'll fall back on that conversation and maybe it won't take away his sadness, but it will help him feel like she's still alive, she's still here and my children get to know her too. I think also what's important around this is, again, you know, parents will often say to me, how do I do this or how do I do that? And sometimes... It's, it's just about the example that we are leading to for them to see. You know, you can't preach this stuff. If they're asking, of course, you're going to have these conversations or you're going to try and prompt conversation. Mm. But if they're not ready to hear it or they're not willing to hear it, what they will see is the example that you are leading, regardless of whether they realise it or not. And that's the same reason why, you know, we'll say things like, I use this example all the time, but I'll say to my kids, get your feet off the couch. And then one day, Jordan, you do it. when Geordie was just was out of the shower, he was clean, he was just sitting there in his pyjamas and I said, get your feet off the couch. And he says to me, but why? And I said, I don't actually know. That's just what my dad always said to me, you know. <laughs> There's actually no perfect, it's perfectly, you're perfectly fine. Just carry on as you are. But, you know, it's 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 these examples that we don't realise that we, <laughs> I know that's right. not the best example, but. No, it is a good you know, example. You we, know, we, we lead. do it by rote. Right, exactly. Mm. And even if we walk away from that and we abandon that, I th- still think at some point we come back to it because it's home. <laughs> what we've seen and what we know is home. So we come back to what is, right. is home. And I think, you know, 
whether we're talking about um, death or we're talking about puberty, I think it's the same thing. It's still what yep. is comfortable in home. Yep. So I think that's one of the best things we can do as well. I still think we have to focus on the celebration of the people in our lives and maybe we need to do it more when they're still here and tell people how awesome you think they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's actually not that difficult to no. go, you know what, you're ace. In fact, <laughs> you're good at that. Yeah. I am good. You I, are like, good to, at I that. like to tell people I think yeah, they're, they're ace. In fact, I, I had a job, a job situation the other day, a work thing, and I was going to write back to the guy to say how great I thought he was. And then I was like, I don't know what the appropriate professional approach is here. I'm like, you're ace. No, um, I think you're a wonderful person. No, that's weird. Um, I really appreciate your I appreciate approach. you. Oh, do you know? No, I appreciate you're a great guy. No, I was like, oh, I'm just going to have to leave this for the minute. But yes, I don't think there's anything wrong with telling people that they're awesome. No. They walk away going, oh, okay. Absolutely. Why not? Yeah. Yes, good. Thank you, Fawn. You're awesome. Yes, we've loved this, Fawn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is there any way that you want to direct people to um, you and your work? Well, they can come to my website. It is uh, fawnchang.com or everythingdeath.com. And they can follow me on Instagram. I post regularly there. I have lots of content. I'm going to be offering a series of online classes and Zoom classes as well. Uh, my sweet spot, well, where I will probably be focusing my work here is on legacy work. And it is exactly as you were saying, letting people know how awesome they are once we've died, making sure that they're getting those messages. Mm. Because again, that helps their grieving process, but it also allows them to keep us alive as well. Thank you, Fawn. Thank you, Fawn, so much. Thank you. What a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So when I first said to you, I know a death doula, you were like, what? <laughs> yeah, but in my defence, we were walking down the corridor. I was like, what? What, you, what? what did you just say? I know, but you were like, oh, gosh, this is going to be interesting. A death doula. But it was it was exactly that. It was very, very interesting. interesting. And I love not the morbid. idea. No, not morbid. I love the idea of the doula, you know, who brings a baby into life and then a doula that passes you on to the next life. Well, doula, actually, I looked up the definition of doula, actually, oh, and it is to bring life. Ah. And then I was like... I, I knew Fawn's title and I was a bit like, is that contradictory, like a death doula? <laughs> but I think the whole point is that Full you are circle. moving, yeah, mm. but you are moving into whatever whatever that is next. We don't really know. So, you know, the whole idea of a new birth, whatever that is. I love that. I actually love, though, that whether you're religious or not, everyone's got their own idea of what happens next. And oh. it's yours. It's specifically yours. And I love that because no one knows. So no. you just have your idea and well, that's you just, fine. That's Off you right. go with it. Exactly. Hey, um, today's episode's been really interesting uh, and, you know, I do feel quite positive. I wouldn't have thought so. Well, the whole point obviously here at the Wellness Collective is to leave you with little bits. Gems. Gems. That's not bits. Bits doesn't <laughs> Put that bit in your I'll box. leave you with some bits today, people. Um, no, but, you know, little nuggets, little gems that are obviously going to make your life better. Uh, do you know, too, and I think we're building an encyclopedia. I know, right, from birth to death and everything in between. Absolutely. That's maybe what we should have called if ourselves. If there is something that you would like us to cover here in the Wellness Collective, please jump on our Instagram yep. and... Let us know. Let us know. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And um, if you have enjoyed this episode, please pop on and rate it. That would be lovely. We like a rating. And it's really helpful because it helps spread the word to other people. And, you know, if you haven't already told your friends... Do you know there's actually a way you can share an episode? Yes, there is. So you get that link and you text message it to your friend. Go and tell someone that they're awesome right Mm -hmm. now 
And until next time, we hope you're feeling happier, healthier and better. 